0: Hello, you're listening to Late Edition Crime Beat Chronicles, a product of Lee Enterprises. I'm Chris Lay, the podcast operations manager here at Lee and the host of the show. With Late Edition Crime Beat Chronicles, we are presenting notable true crime stories as reported by journalists for the dozens of various Lee Enterprises-owned publications from around America. For this set of episodes, we've been focused on Wilbur, Nebraska, where in November of 2017, 24-year-old Sydney Loof left work to go on a second date with a person she met on a dating app and never came home. The events that followed, involving eventually convicted suspects Aubrey Trail and Bailey Boswell, were bizarre in the way they unfolded, both on social media and in the courtroom. What you're about to hear is the fifth and final episode of the series, so if you're new here, you should jump back to part one and get up to speed. And especially don't miss the interview that I conducted with Lincoln Journal star reporter Lori Pilger about her coverage of the trial as it was happening and the present state of Aubrey Trail's appeal to the Nebraska State Supreme Court. Everything you hear will be fit to print in a newspaper, but this episode does include graphic descriptions of unsettling situations. So proceed with caution. You can find links to all the articles that we talk about in the show notes. And as always, if you appreciate what we're doing with this program, or any other true crime podcast for that matter, we encourage you to invest in local journalism and support whichever newspaper it is that serves your community. Our episode begins after this break. July 2nd, 2019 three witnesses talk about Aubrey Trail giving them allowances and Bailey Boswell's kill bag by Lori Pilger. The three women had similar stories. All in their 20s, they were drawn in after matching with Bailey Boswell on Tinder, though she went by other names on the app, like Kelsey and Jenna. Aubrey Trail came into the picture soon after, sometimes at their initial meetings with Boswell. He'd give them allowances and pay for shopping and dinner, or trips to the salon. Trail and Boswell were a package deal. Sex came first, then talk of torture and killing, the women described in testimony on Tuesday. The three, identified here with the initials A-H, A-G, and K-B, took the stand one at a time to testify about the months and days leading up to and following Loof's disappearance after she went on her own date with Boswell. Before the trial began, Saline County District Judge Vicki Johnson issued an order barring media from recording video or audio of the women's testimony for privacy reasons. But Tuesday, from the bench, she told the media for the first time not to publish their names. A.H. spoke of Boswell having a kill bag, a hammer and pliers inside, and joyfully talking about wanting to pull off people's fingernails and cut off their eyelids as she tortured them. Boswell got off on seeing people in pain, A.H. said. We've got the sex, we've got the witches, we've got a vampire, and then we start talking about torture and killing people, and this is exciting to you, too? Trail's attorney, Ben Murray, asked her. Yes, she agreed. A.H. said Trail had talked about breathing in someone's last breath something he'd said he'd never done, but Boswell had. If I told you this came straight from a Stephen King book, would you believe it? Murray asked her. Yes, she said. It's called Feeding on Steam from Dr. Sleep, he said. A.H. admitted she was okay with killing someone, even excited about the idea, and actually wanted to kill a woman she'd seen at a Walmart in Beatrice, who had met Boswell on Tinder also. So you wanted all this stuff, the torture, the killing, the breathing in the steam, Murray asked A.H. She said she did. But in the end, when she was supposed to kill another girl in the group, A.G., she didn't want to do it. She didn't want to steal for Trail and Boswell either, she said. While A.H. said she believed what they said about special powers and flying and reading minds, the other two women were more skeptical. A.G., who has since moved out of state, said she didn't believe it when Trail claimed to be a vampire and showed her how he could hypnotize Boswell, who she knew as Jenna. When they talked about witchcraft, or killing, she said she didn't respond, she just listened. A.G. said Boswell told her that there was a lot faster way to get more money, quote, that involved murder and stuff like that, unquote. It wasn't stuff I was comfortable with, she said. A.G. said she didn't see them do anything like that, but Boswell and Trail talked about having to kill for sacrifices. They were talking more and more about killing someone, A.G. said, and she believed that part of their story might be true. A.G. said she was supposed to do a cocaine run with Boswell and Trail on November eighteenth, two 2017, in exchange for $15,000. When she didn't hear from them, she was okay with it. She'd been trying to distance herself from them, but wanted to keep things on good terms. She said they'd hinted it would be easy to target her. She said she brought them an apple cake at her last visit, which, at first, she said was November 16th, the day Loof's remains were dismembered and dumped in rural Clay County. She later said she was mixed up on dates. It must have been a couple of weeks sooner. So you weren't involved in the killing or dismembering of Sidney Loof? State Assistant Attorney General Mike Guinan asked her. No, AG answered. KB said Trail had told her if she ever stole from him, he'd kill her and her whole family. It scared her, but she didn't think much of it at the time. People say stupid things, she said. She said she was in a dominant, submissive relationship with Boswell and sometimes wore a pink collar and leash that Boswell bought her. She said Boswell got off on talk of torture and once asked her if she would kill for her. KB said she told her no. When Boswell and Trail picked her up on November 17th, 2017, Go to a casino in Council Bluffs, Iowa. They seemed quieter, tense even. She said she agreed to go to Grand Island with them on a cocaine run that would mean twenty-five thousand dollars for her. But by November 21st, 2017, Aubrey Trail hadn't found the drugs, which he said were supposed to be dropped from a plane. So they decided to go to Kearney. Boswell wanted to find someone to torture and kill. KB said. It was Thanksgiving break, and Boswell and Trail figured it would be easier to find someone who wouldn't be missed, she said. They checked into a hotel there on November 22nd, but then KB got a voicemail from a Lincoln police officer on her cell phone. I was, for the first time, super scared, she said, and showed it. The three left town right away, When KB found out she had been reported missing in Omaha, she called to say she was fine. She went home the next day. When Murray asked her if she had any idea how that pink leash ended up at the scene where Loof's body was found, she said she didn't know. Is it possible that you helped dispose of a body? He asked KB. I don't know, she answered. There were chunks of a day later in the week of Louvre's disappearance that she can't remember. Until meeting with prosecutors recently, KB said, she thought she might have been there and repressed the memory. Trail says Louvre's death was an accident. The state alleges that it was murder and is seeking the death penalty. Aubrey Trail hasn't been in the courtroom since June 24th when he said Boswell was innocent and slashed at his throat with a sharp object. July 3rd, 2019, FBI agent tells jury about Tinder messages between Loof and Boswell by Lori Pilger. After they both swiped right, the user named Aubrey, age 25, struck up the Tinder conversation with Sidney Loof on the morning of November 11th, 2017. They're just chit-chatting back and forth. FBI Special Agent Mike Masseth testified Wednesday at Aubrey Trails' murder trial. In those first few exchanges on a Saturday, Loof, Bailey Boswell's 27th Tinder match, says that she lives in Lincoln but is from Neely and at home with family for the weekend. Boswell says she lives outside of Lincoln. They talk about smoking pot and setting up a date to meet. Later, They talk about foods they like, like cornbread and black-eyed peas. Loof said she's eating at Applebee's. On November 13th, Boswell, who is at home in Wilbur at the time with Trail and another woman she met on Tinder, says they're all set for a date. All I need is an address, she says. Okay, tomorrow, Loof answers. The next day, she tells Boswell she works at Menard's and Boswell asks again for her address, so I can see how long it'll take for me to get there. Within five minutes of getting the address, Bailey Boswell calls a hotel in Lincoln to make a reservation for that night for her and Trail. That night, Boswell and Loof meet for the first time, driving around town, smoking pot in Boswell's car. After, Bailey Boswell sends her another message. Good night, Gorgeous. At 8.38 a.m. on November 15th, they exchange more messages. And what time do Bailey Boswell and Aubrey Trail go to the Home Depot? Assistant Attorney General Mike Guinan asked Masseth. At 10.30 a.m., less than two hours later, they buy a hacksaw, tin snips, drop cloths, and a utility knife. Boswell sends Loof more messages at 12.23 p.m. What's going on at that point? The prosecutor asks. They're pulling out of the parking lot at Menards, the FBI agent said. That's where Trail had been caught on a surveillance camera going into the home improvement store in North Lincoln as Loof, who was working, walked out to the guard shack. Trail looked back twice over his shoulder after their paths nearly crossed. In Tinder messages, Boswell and Loof go on to talk about meeting at 7, to cruise around town, smoke, and get to know each other. Even about maybe going to a casino over the weekend. Loof asks if it will be just the two of them on the date. Of course, Boswell says. Their last Tinder communication comes at 6.54pm on November 15th, 2017. Here, Boswell says, signaling her arrival to pick Loof up from her apartment. About an hour and a half later, Sidney Loof's phone will go off near Wilbur, the last place it was traced. July 8th, 2019. Expert says Hacksaw, like one trail bought hours before Loof's death, was used to dismember her. By Lori Pilger. Before the pathologist took the stand here on Monday, Saline County District Judge Vicki Johnson warned jurors it would be difficult to look at the photos that would be part of the doctor's presentation. But it was important to see them to understand the state's contention, she told them. On two large screens behind council tables, pointed towards the judge's bench and away from court-goers, jurors glanced up as Dr. Michelle Eliff pointed out details, first from the x-rays, then the photos from Sidney Loof's autopsy on December 7, 2017. George Loof, Sidney's father, sat in the front row, where he's been every day, except for when prosecutors played a three-hour-plus video of an interrogation of Aubrey Trail. On Monday morning, the state asked Eliff about signs that she saw during the autopsy that could suggest Luff had struggled. There was the small bump on the back of the top of her head, marks around the tops of her wrists from restraints and scrapes on her back. One of her earlobes had been torn, too, soon before death, she said. On cross-examination, defense attorney Joe Murray challenged the state's theory. The signs of struggle that you talked about are consistent with rough. Consensual sex, aren't they? he asked. Yes, they can be, Elif said. The doctor also couldn't say if missing organs were evidence that Luf's death had been a ritualistic killing, or if animals had gotten them in the weeks before she was found. She said it's possible, though not terribly common, that someone could break the hyoid bone, the U shaped bone in the back of the neck, during sexual asphyxiation. Part of Luf's hyoid bone and neck were missing. Still, Elif said she was able to conclude that Loof's death was a homicide, meaning she died at another's hands, by means that included strangulation. In the afternoon, Stephen Symes, a leading forensic anthropologist from Mississippi who specializes in saw and knife-mark analysis and dismemberment cases, used a model skeleton by the witness stand to show the jury how the cuts on the body were made, explaining the detail jurors could see on the screens of what he looked at to draw his conclusions in the case. The reason I know it's a hacksaw is I'm getting very fine teeth, he said. Symes said the marks he saw on the remains pointed to a hacksaw with a blade of about 25 teeth per inch or a little bit less. Doctor, I'm going to hand you exhibit 763. Would these markings that you found on Sidney Loof's body be consistent with an object just like that? Assistant Attorney General Mike Guinan asked him. Symes looked at the yellow-handled Stanley brand high-tension hacksaw with a 24-teeth-per-inch carbide blade, just like the one trail was seen on surveillance buying at Home Depot the morning of November 15, 2017, less than seven hours before Loof State with Boswell. It is consistent with this particular purchase, he said. While Trail has admitted he dismembered Luke's body, he denied using the hacksaw he bought that day to do it when confronted by FBI agents about the timing, which prosecutors say points to premeditation. On cross-examination, Syme said he couldn't say how much strength it would have taken to dismember the body or whether it had been carried out by a man or a woman. July 9th, 2019 Isn't it true, Mr. Trail, that your performance today was your biggest con? Asks the prosecution. By Lori Pilger. Aubrey Trail admitted Tuesday that what he had told two FBI agents was bullshit. There's no video. There's no sexual fantasy. There's no two other people there. There's none of that stuff, he said, sitting in a wheelchair, a makeshift witness stand across from the jury. But Trail maintains he told investigators and the jury the truth about Sidney Loof accidentally dying at his hands while he choked her during sex with Bailey Boswell. Prosecutors say it's all just another con by the self-admitted con man. Isn't it true, Mr. Trail, that your performance today was your biggest con? Assistant Attorney General Doug Warner asked him, suggesting Trail had been throwing crap at the wall in hope someone believes it. Trail denied it. It really doesn't matter what I say. You're not going to believe it, he said. But first, before taking the stand and out on the presence of jurors, Trail told Saline County Justice Judge Vicki Johnson that he wanted to waive his right to remain silent and testify against his attorney's advice. Earlier Tuesday... The state wrapped up its case against him for the first-degree murder of the 24-year-old Lincoln woman with testimony about coded jailhouse notes found at the Saline County Jail that Trail ultimately admitted he tried to get to Boswell, telling her what to tell investigators. In one note, Trail appears to talk about drugs, but investigators believe he was alluding to Loof's killing to let Boswell know what he'd told FBI agents. I told them you did not know who cut up the dope or bagged it up because you were freaking out so bad, said FBI Special Agent Mike Masseth, reading from one of the notes. In another, Trail told Boswell to stick to her story, but add this stuff, about how on the night of Loof's death, he was going to make a fake snuff film with Loof and two other women. Trail told Boswell she could make up her description of the two women. Loof, he said, was to be paid to play the victim. I told you no one would get seriously hurt, and you believed me, Trail wrote. He told her to say she now believed it was a lie. You will have to fill in the blanks, baby, but this story is good, Trail now admits writing. After the state had rested, and the defense had called two witnesses and read into the record the testimony of a third... It was Trails' turn to tell his side. For most of the next four hours on Tuesday, he would answer the attorney's questions, starting with why he voluntarily had chosen not to be in the courtroom for the past two weeks to hear the state's case against him. Because I agree with 85% of what they said, Trail said. He said he'd met Boswell in Branson, Missouri. At first, he paid her for massages. Then, he said, it turned into a lot more. They went to Vegas and pretty much all over the country, Trail said, but they were tired of living here and there in hotels. We were involved in a lot of illegal activity, I guess you could say. The law hadn't caught up to them yet for conning a Kansas couple of nearly a half million dollars over a counterfeit coin, and they wanted to settle down. In June 2017, they moved into a basement rental apartment half a mile from the courthouse in Wilbur. Trail's attorney, Joe Murray, asked about three women who took the stand last week to testify about what went on in the house and the couple's lifestyle of money, sex, and women. Trail said he had it great. He said all Boswell was interested in was sex. For me, it was all about the money. Trail said he used to surround himself with young women, buying them gifts and paying them allowances. They helped him sell antiques many of the items stolen. In exchange, they called him daddy and had to follow his rules. No clothes and no questioning what he said. We didn't judge. What you were is what you were, Trail said. They talked about killing and torturing, but it was talk about child molesters and people who hurt kids, he said. He said it was just talk, fantasy. Trail said he met Loof when he went through her cashier line at the Menards where she worked in late March or early April 2017. He said she was crying, and he saw an opportunity. He needed someone new to make calls for his con, but after a few times of paying her to make calls, he said, she told them what they were doing was wrong. Sidney, she was too sweet, Trail said. She didn't really fit in with our group. Two defense witnesses testified they had seen Loof with Trail and Boswell at a hotel in Falls City the summer before Loof's death. He said months later, when Boswell matched with Loof on the Tinder dating app, they recognized her right away. But Boswell looked different in her profile picture and went by another name, Audrey. Asked why Loof didn't seem to recognize him as she walked out of Menards and he walked in on November 15th, Trail asked his attorney if she saw him. I don't know. You tell me, Murray asked. I know I recognized her. That's why I turned around, Trail said. He said Boswell wanted to see Loof, but he wanted to talk to her first. He said Boswell brought her over the night of November 15th, and the three of them ended up having sex. On Tuesday, for the first time, He said that what he'd told investigators previously about paying Louvre to participate in a sexual fantasy with two other women that night was a lie. He said he knew something was wrong with Louvre when she started having a seizure and shaking. He tried mouth to mouth when she stopped breathing, but it didn't work, he said. In hindsight, he said he should have just called 911, but didn't because he and Boswell both had warrants. I use people for money. I use people for sex. Killing Sidney Loof wouldn't make sense. It's counterproductive, I guess, Trail said. He said when investigators asked why people said he was a witch master and drank blood, he decided, hell, I can make this stuff up. Trail said he told the FBI stories to get out of his cell and drink coffee and to send them in as many directions as he could. How do we know you're telling the truth? Murray asked him. Trail said they had to decide what to believe. I don't really care what you believe. This is what happened, he said. Warner, the prosecutor, went through the early interviews asking Trail why he never said anything about Loof's death being an accident until after he was shown a photograph of a piece of her arm. Then it was a homicide, and he had to explain it, Warner suggested. He said Trail... meticulously had covered his tracks during the elaborate con over a fake coin wasn't the type of person to act on impulse. The story changed because of this, didn't it? The prosecutor said pointing at a photo of the piece of Loof's arm with a tattoo on it. It changed because they found the body. Yes, Trail answered. July 10th, 2019. Verdict expected soon. In Aubrey Trail Case, by Lori Pilger. In closing arguments Wednesday, the state painted a picture of Aubrey Trail and Bailey Boswell as a counterculture couple intent on making a kill, stalking the prey as she drove to work that day and shopping for the tools to dismember her body hours before they carried out the crime. Assistant Attorney General Mike Guinan said at 6.59 p.m. on November 15, 2017, when Sidney Loof got in Boswell's car, her fate was sealed. She got in that car, and she was dead. It was just a matter of when, the prosecutor said. The defense painted a different picture, using the state's own cross-examination of trail a day earlier, when Assistant Attorney General Doug Warner said Trail had meticulously planned his half-million-dollar con of a Kansas couple, suggesting Trail wasn't one to act on impulse. This was not meticulously planned, Joe Murray told the jury. There was no rhyme or reason to it. No plan equals no premeditation and no first-degree murder, he argued before Trail's case went to the jury of six men and six women shortly before 4 p.m. on Wednesday afternoon three weeks after opening statements in the closely watched trial in Saline County District Court. In closing arguments, Murray pointed to how Trail randomly headed west and circled rural Clay County, looking for a place to dump the body, then lacked any kind of plan to get away, leaving most of their belongings behind in Wilbur, apparently intending to return. They bought maps of Iowa and the Texas-Mexico border, but scrapped going to Mexico because they didn't have passports. They considered camping out in a national park, but didn't know where to find one. Yeah, that's some plan, Murray said. But Guinan, on the other side, said they just didn't think they'd get caught. They thought they had committed the perfect crime. What they did not count on were the dominoes that fell so soon after, he said. Within days, investigators had Boswell's and Trails' names. Guinan said Loof's disappearance was the kind of case that could have gone cold fast, but for the actions of investigators, worried family, and persistent friends. But what happens? Sidney Loof solves her own crime, he said, pointing to the text Loof sent a friend with a photo of the woman she'd met on Tinder and was going on a date with that night. It was Boswell. Guinan said Boswell had isolated Loof the night of her death, first taking her away from her home and friends in Lincoln to the couple's basement apartment in Wilbur, and then taking away her last lifeline, her phone. This is clearly not some sexual fantasy gone wrong. This is a premeditated murder gone right, he said. Guinan contends that between 8.08 p.m. that night, when Loof's phone connected with a cell phone tower near Wilbur, and 8.40, when her mom sent a text that was never received, she died. They had her there, and they pounced on her, he said. Not by mistake, not by accident, Cannon said. He said she was intentionally killed, backed up by evidence during the autopsy, and pointed to Loof fighting to survive. Scrapes and bruising on her back and shoulder and a bump on her head. But it was two against one, and one of them was Trail, a 300-pound man. Guinan said he believes Trail, and Boswell followed Louvre to work at noon that day, and that Trail went inside, passing within feet of her, intending to see who they were going to kill. The two of them had been planning, scheming, and lusting after, desiring a murder for months. That's what we have here, he said. Then they dismember her, cutting her into at least 14 pieces, something that Guinan suggested was gratuitous. Do you do that much work to get rid of a body? He posed. Then they disposed of Loop's body on the side of the road like it was garbage. The next day, they went to a casino where, over the next two days, they gambled and played strip poker at a hotel room with another woman and talked about killing more people, Guinan said. Murray said it was just that. Talk and much of it coming from the Stephen King book, Dr. Sleep. We've got a bizarre cast of characters in this case. You don't need me to tell you that, the defense attorney told the jury. There was the young woman, fascinated by serial killers and torture, who sometimes liked to act like a cat, wearing a collar and nothing else, and eating out of a pet dish on the floor, and another young woman who, minutes after meeting Trail, told him she wanted her stepdad who abused her years earlier killed. There was a lot of talk by these people about a lot of things, but nothing ever acted on, Murray said. Trails' attorney said he didn't particularly like his client, who he admitted had blindsided him a day earlier by changing his story while testifying, but Trail still maintained the strangulation was an accident. The forensic pathologist can't tell if the death was accidental or intentional. I suggest neither can you, Murray said. Guinan said it wasn't just the pathologist's findings, which were consistent with Lou's death being intentional. It was all the rest of the evidence, too. The women who were part of their group testified that Trail and Boswell had talked for months about wanting to kill. Who's credible? Aubrey Trail? The prosecutor said. He changed the story about the death of Sidney Loof before your eyes. Jurors were told they could keep deliberating until 9 p.m. Shortly before 7 p.m., lawyers were told the jury had reached a verdict. Aubrey Trail was convicted and sentenced to death for Sidney Loof's murder. His conviction was appealed all the way to the Nebraska State Supreme Court, where it was argued before the justices on September 1st of this year, with their ruling yet to be announced. Bailey Boswell received an automatic life sentence, plus 50 years for conspiracy to commit murder, and two years for unlawful disposal of human remains, the maximum penalty for each count. As I said earlier, you can find links to the articles that we referenced in the show notes. We are already very hard at work on our next series with a new co-host. So look forward to more info about that very soon and make sure that you're subscribed to the show, wherever you get your podcasts. Late edition crime beat Chronicles is a product of Lee enterprises. It is produced, recorded, edited, and hosted by myself, Chris Lay, with articles for previous episodes of the season read and recorded by Matt McGrath. Thank you so much, Matt, for all the hours you spent recording all those. As always, if you appreciate what we're doing with this program, we encourage you to invest in local journalism and support whichever newspaper it is that serves your community.